Welcome to First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. Today we talked to Andre Andreev, one of the co-founders of Dress Code, a multifaceted production company here in New York. We talk about his upbringing in Bulgaria and how he met his business partner, Dan Covert, here in America. We also talk about the origins of their book, Never Sleep, which helped influence a generation of designers right out of school. We also talk about the film I Heart NY, which is their love letter to New York through the lens of Milton Glaser. It was recently showcased at Tribeca New York Film Festival, and we get into that experience. But before we do all that, I want to give a shout out to Des Gin, our sponsor. Des Gin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. So thanks again to Des Gin team. All right, so this is a really fun conversation and really educational, too, for fresh students uh, just out of school. So hope you enjoy it. Um, also, just FYI, we started the conversation with a couple of shots. So if our speech patterns uh, disintegrate over the course of the next uh, hour or so, uh, you'll know why. But that said, uh, hope you guys enjoy this. Here's a conversation with Andre and Drave. Oh, yeah. Cheers, brother. Cheers, bud. Yeah, it's good, good to, to see, see you. you, man. Good to see you. First off, congrats. Oh, thanks. Oh, come up closer, okay, closer. closer. You might have to, you're you're a tall dude. You might have to right. hold, I'm, if you want to physically hold that mic. Actually. That sounds good. All yeah, right. It, All it right. doesn't hurt to be even closer. Okay, cool. Cool. Is that <laughs> I just looked at the microphone. It's 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 very close, this microphone. I don't yeah. know what, what it has in mind. but yep. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, anyway, again. Cheers, bro. Cheers. So congrats on season three. Thank you, sir. Right? First yep. Gen Burden, season three. Yeah. Back better than ever. I hear there's going to be some good, interesting guests coming up. Also, Rich, uh, congrats on your ADC awards. Thank you, sir. Well, I have to congratulate you. Too. Well, we can <laughs> we can mutually scratch each other's backs. <laughs> yeah, after this is over. Um, exactly. But this is very cool, man. Thanks for having me. And, and also, it's, 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 a, it's an even added bonus that we're at 1515 right now. Right. Floor 24, where I first got started in the business in oh, New yeah. York City. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're here with, you know, your Roger Belknaps yep. and with your Jim DeBarroses. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's it's a pleasure to be back, just oh, in general, you know. Andre Andreev. Tell me if I'm mispronouncing anything, by the way. Andre Andreev. Andre Andreev. Um, thank you for coming. Um, again, on uh, season three of First Gen Burden, uh, just to level set really quick. Um, first of all, I have to say, like, uh, we're friends, but I've I've been quite an admirer of your work and Dress Code's work for a long time, specifically with the Never Sleep book, which was a which is, I think when I first met you, I told you that this was an influence on me when I first I got out of grad school. No way. I shit you not. Yeah, because that, that's a terrible influence, Rich. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm I'm, ha- I'm surprised that any, you know it's so funny. It's been so long since we put out that book. I'm surprised anybody's read it. Oh let, really? Let alone remembered stuff. Of it, it, from it litters it, so. the halls here. Oh really? Like, yeah. Is what like door stopping material <laughs> yeah. or like it's holding up my desk right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a short leg and yeah, it's underneath yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a very that's very kind of you because we wrote that such a long time ago. That I, I'm sometimes slightly embarrassed by reading it again. You know? No. Oh, well, I mean, I definitely want to get into the the. Uh, origin of it specifically yeah. based on the context of where we are right now but uh uh yeah no it was it was a big it was a big one in terms of uh, getting 
my mental game right, um, you know, stepping into the world having for myself, having been a bit of a late bloomer and like mm. been speaking to a lot of uh, students fresh out. I, I think it's I think it's very influential in terms of, um, you know, um, the the pitfalls and the learnings and everything that it takes when yeah. when you are stepping into a bigger world. Definitely a lot of pitfalls in that book. <laughs> Well, anyway, before we get into that, I would, I would love to start at the beginning and uh, for you to just tell us a little bit of uh, who you are, where you're from, like how you started and let's yeah, take it from there. The story, yeah, the story. So I'm originally from Bulgaria. Um, I migrated to the United States uh, in 97. Um, me and my mom uh, moved to Seattle. Uh, I lived there uh, through high school. And uh, after graduating, I moved uh, to San Francisco to study at California College of the Arts and Crafts, uh, where I met my now business partner, Dan Covert. Um, after graduating from college in San Francisco, uh, both of us moved out to New York, uh, and we got our first jobs at MTV. Uh, and then uh, shortly after, two years, two years after, uh, we started our production company called Dresscode. And you know now we just celebrated our ten year tenth you know ten year anniversary. So it, we've been doing that for the last uh, yeah ten years. Wow! That and the new space is amazing, by the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, can Can you tell me a little bit about your creative life in Bulgaria and like the origins of of, of what got you thinking within you know creative spaces, also like narrative storytelling and wanting to you know. Um, create the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so first off, my, my dad is a graphic designer. So he uh, he at the time in the early '90s did everything by hand. So he did paste ups. Uh, you know, he did collage. Uh, we would have a uh, photo lab in our basement where he would take and develop his own photo, uh, photographs. So in a sense, um, he I was able to see the entire process of what design was, what calligraphy was, what paste up was from the ground up, and then eventually he would take me to press checks and stuff like that, and I would see exactly where how things got printed and got made. So as in a sense, as a kid, I understood the entire process of graphic design before the computer. You know, everything was analog. So as a kid, it looks like like art class. You know, it looks like you're having a blast thinking of stuff, like right. writing cool things. And I was like, inevitably, you can make a living doing this. Like, I, I want to do this. You know, this is rad. I, I like sketch and draw, you know, in class all day, every day. And my dad does it for a living. That sounds pretty good. Uh, was this for a magazine or uh, what was his, what so, was the day to day? So he would do a lot of newspapers, a lot of magazines, a lot of publications, uh, and then he would also do occasionally he would do an, like an advertisement or he would do a, a piece of calligraphy at, at that at that time calligraphy was still in, not in vogue but there were was a greater need for it so uh, he would do stuff like that and then eventually he started working for an advertising agency uh, and and at that time it was an arm of uh, publicis in Bulgaria. Uh, and that was very exciting because there were computers and there were a lot of people doing cool stuff. And I was, you know, as soon as he introduced me to the advertising side of it, I, I gravitated to it right away. Uh, did he did he want you to book to get into the creative arts at, in any way? Because for my dad, he was an architect, yeah. but he actually constantly told me he's like, Richie, 
don't be an architect. <laughs> it's like, don't do this. This is tough. This is t- well, it takes forever to become an architect, right? Right. And I imagine the amount of schooling and the amount of frustration along the way to get to the top or right. get to a good place. Um, and nothing that nothing that you work on gets built until later until in life. Very late in, in life, right? And the amount of, I imagine, red tape and logistics and... I mean, you. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But I, I can totally imagine the long road as a as an architect. The graphic, the graphic design aspect is the polar opposite. You know, we're basically like a throwaway culture. You know, it's like graphic design sometimes gets like you know discarded as soon as it's seen or opened. You know, in the packaging sense, for instance. Um, and uh, for us, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, architect friends of mine say you know what, I wish my work was a little bit more immediate. I, I wish that I could just make something and and not think of it 20 years later, you know, the way you would do with a building. You know, that's that kind of weight on your mind, I think, is huge. Um, you just but, made me think of something I wrote it down. Mm, okay. Uh, but my dad, to answer your question, Rich, uh, my dad was always... Uh, both my parents, not just my dad, both my, my parents were uh, very creative and they would try to do everything in their power to put me in classes and encourage me in the creative side. And I, I, I largely thank both of them for, you know, where I'm at and what I'm doing right now. It's 100%, you know, they were very supportive, yeah. What about when you came to America? Were they were they supportive of that and also wanting to pursue it here? So it's, yeah, absolutely. So my mom knew that um, uh, my ticket to a college education was getting a scholarship. Uh there was no other way that I could go through, get through school without having some sort of help for the tuition, right? So she knew that right away I would have to put my best foot forward. And then I, for that to happen, I, I took a lot of college credit classes while in high school to prep me and build a portfolio and so on and so forth. So my mom was instrumental in making sure that I got the portfolio early, early enough to get the scholarships and get the early acceptance and all that stuff. So she was absolutely instrumental. Were your parents judgmental in any way early on? Were they just like, Andre, move this, move that, like this typeface doesn't feel good here? Or like, <laughs> did your parents teach you about curting when you were a kid or no? Yeah, absolutely. My dad was- Did he really? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Whoa. Yeah, my dad, I mean, the concept of letting, kerning, all those typographic terms, my, my dad, uh, by, by training, is a calligrapher. So he's a man of the words, you know, and 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 so for for him, letter forms, uh, spacing, kerning, all that stuff, you had to know your terminology, let alone how to use it. Absolutely, you know, uh, and he was even, you know, he would do like deep dives into that type of, you know, lessons and learning on, on my end to prepare me, because exhibiting that knowledge early on as you're starting your college career that can get you into you know uh, junior or sometimes senior level classes very easily and very quickly and that would save you money in the long run you know Um, so for for my parents my mom especially was she was supportive but she also saw the economy of it if she were if if she was supportive early on we would have an easier time to, in getting through college, basically. Gotcha. Do you have siblings? No, it's just me. Gotcha. Well, so what was emotionally tough when you left for the parents? Well, so I think my dad, um, my parents separated. Gotcha. My dad stayed in Bulgaria and me and my mom migrated to the States. Got it. And I think that for my dad, who stayed in, in, in Bulgaria, it was, I, I can only imagine it was kind of rough. 
Gotcha. Um, when you moved to Seattle, mm-hmm. what, what, why was it Seattle? Why was that the first pit stop? So we had, so the way it works, the reason we moved to the States is there's a lottery. There's a green card lottery, which sounds really funny, but but you basically apply for this the way you would apply for, uh, you know, citizenship or something like that, except that uh, you have to prove a couple of things. You have to prove that you know somebody in the United States that can receive you when you land, that can basically give you shelter for a little bit of time. You have to have, I think, a minimum of four or $5,000 and that you would have to, at the time, you would you, you had to have a college education and you had to exhibit some sort of work history so that you could get a job. My mom met all of that criteria. Wow. And we had, uh, we came to the States with, you know, $5,000 and we had friends in Seattle and Detroit. Now, I, I haven't been to Detroit, but... <laughs> There's an alternate reality. A, yeah, where absolutely, you right? Detroit. Yeah, imagine that, right? But at the time... The 90s, man, the music coming out of Seattle. Right. You know, like the music and the culture and some of the movies as well. Had Kurt Cobain passed away by that point? Yeah, yeah. He passed away in 94 and this was 97, but that was still not that far away, you know? And for me as a kid, to all of a sudden to be like listening to these guys and hearing about them, to be like living in in the city where they perform so I could maybe watch them live. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. You know, you know. So having that possibility uh, just open. I mean, for me, it wasn't even a choice. I was like, "We're going to Seattle, and it's going to be great." I already know the place, right? right. From I the know movies. what it sounds like. Yeah, I know what it sounds like. Right. I've seen Reality Bites yeah, or whatever. You know, it's like I'm in. I'm in. I'm 100 in. Yeah. Oh man, like what, what do you got here? What was? Well, I would love to know like what you, what the first things you did in the states and how you like personally want like acclimated into the culture once you got here. Right, right. So this is when I first got here. And you were in high school, I presume? I was, I was in the eighth grade. Oh, so my the first God. Thing, the first thing okay. that my mom did, I'll tell you a quick story. So my mom's a hustler, first off. She, she <laughs> is so clever. So first off, uh, we move in the not-so-good part of town, right? And, and my mom is, you know, obviously she sees the school. It's not the best school ever. You know, it's, 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 it's obvious. And she does some research and finds where the good, you know, the, the good area of, of the, the city is and where I should be going to school. I'm all for it. I, you know, if it were to me, I'd go to the better, nicer school. Uh, so what she does is she takes out, uh, uh, she rents a mailbox in the address of vicinity to the nicer high school that I ended up going to. And uh, she presents that as her address and gets me in that nicer district, right? So, <laughs> oh, they did that on Beverly Hills 90210. Like Andrea Zuckerman right. lives at her aunt's house in order yeah. to get into the zip code. Yeah. So in my case, it was a mailing box. So that that's what got me into the nice, nice, nice kid school. And secondly, the other thing that she did was um, it, I finished the sixth grade in Bulgaria. And instead of enrolling me in the seventh grade, she enrolled me in the eighth. So I skipped a grade when I first got here, right? Now you you're looking at me like, why would she do that? Right. right? So she she would tell me, Andre, you're special. You're so ahead of the curve. You're gonna ace all of these classes. You're gonna be able to like get into eighth grade, no problem, right? This is what she 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 would tell me to motivate me, right? Years pass, you know, like 10, 15 years later now. The the real reason she you know, she told me eventually, she's like, the the real reason I put you in that higher class is that if, if I were having problems learning English and for whatever reason repeated a grade, 
I would still be with my own grade. Right. Wow. And she thought, this guy could never repeat a grade twice. <laughs> right? Like, that's not going to happen. They can't hold him back twice. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. But, who does that? It could happen that they could hold him back once. And that way, he'd still be with the same, you know, the same age range, you know. And the so same... you were always the young kid. You were always the baby in the always, class. Always. Always. Oh, my always. God. So I, I tell you what. I was, um, I graduated high school and got uh, like an associate's college degree by 17 and I, I graduated from college at CCAC by 20. So I graduated school and I wasn't able to drink. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, it's funny because I, I, I just heard um, or um, one one of my coworkers was talking about um, their kid being like slightly older kid yeah. in, in his class. And he's about like five, six years old. But apparently, there's research now that says that if if you are a year older in class, that that actually is a bit of an advantage because you're physically larger. Oh, sure. And you have a bit, you're a little bit bigger. But I feel like you panned out like pretty well. So you'd be surprised, though, man. Because I remember I, I go to like soccer practice. I play soccer. You know, right. is, and I just remember, man, if I if I were with my age range, you know, I'd be like <laughs> I'd be destroying fools. You know, I'm like these bigger, faster guys. Right, you know, right. sometimes two or three years older than me. Right. No chance. You know, oh, you know but if, you know, I can hold my own, no problem. But right. like at that age, those couple of years, man, they make a huge difference. Was yeah. sports a big thing when you're growing up? Oh, yeah. Soccer, soccer all the time. Oh, you know, wow. That's all we would play in Bulgaria, you know? Damn. It's, 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 um, when, what, was there ever a moment when your physicality, aside from that, was like, or like your age, like at least from an educational level, like was, was that ever impediment or no, not really? No, not so much. In fact, I think that like I did pretty well in like uh, – uh, in soccer at the time, and there was—it's so funny. There was interest that, that and this is a humble brag on my on my end, but there was an interest. Uh, uh, one of my coaches wanted me to try out for the Sounders, for the Seattle Sounders. Oh, get out! So at the, at the time, yeah. Well, at the time, it was an amateur team, you know, because th this is before they, you know, became part of the franchise. Right. But they were an amateur team, and I tried out. I played with them a couple of times. You know? Oh wow! So, How so, old were you? Uh, I must have been 13, 14. Uh, maybe 15 tops but it was cool because at the time it was just some, some amateur team you know and they were you know it was cool they were like grown guys doing like real soccer training and stuff like that right. but my mom also saw the, that potentially taking me away from design and illustration and she did that real quick she wow. she she was like how are you going to get in college you know with the soccer scholarship that's not going to happen you're not good enough you know stick to the design stuff you're good at that you know wow it, it's so funny that parental mentality is so counterintuitive to what yeah. i feel yeah. is typical um and also like yeah from for a couple of different reasons actually yeah that's a, that's really interesting um when did you so you graduate from cch CCAC. CCAC. Yeah, CCAC. It's a California College of the Arts and Crafts. After I graduated, they dropped the craft. So it's now CCA, uh, California College of the Arts. Um, no way. So uh, when you met Dan, um, well, can, yeah. tell me about how yeah. that happened. And also, oh, I would love to God. know the beginnings so of dress code. I, I, I would hate to, I mean, it, it, love at first sight, right? So I go to my first class at CCA, this new school where I'm- Also, you yeah. guys are the same height. <laughs> The same height, but but the, don't get it twisted, man. Dan used to wrestle. Oh, really? He used to wrestle and like and be like a competitive. Like he almost went to school. He went to almost went, went to West Point on a wrestling scholarship. Wow, I see uh, him at my gym sometimes. Oh uh, yeah, Richie's gym on the weekends. No shit. Yeah. Um. Uh. By Bushwick. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he goes there regularly. I've seen him there a couple of times. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, hey. All no, right. Yeah. But, the, but the reason like I bring that up is because because uh, you two are the same height, I feel like when I look at both of you guys, I'm always yeah. looking up and I feel like you two are on the same level because you physically stand higher than most human beings. Right. So within right. the industry. Within the, yeah, we only hire people that are six foot or higher. You know, just, <laughs> no. Uh, I was going to say you should hire people that are six foot or under <laughs> right, so right. that you're always just like slightly more superior. On, there's nothing like looking down on people, Rich. It's, <laughs> it's really the best feeling. Yeah. Um, no, it's... Um, uh, back to so I, I enter CCA I'm 17 I'm a little scared because everybody there is older uh, there are kids that are a lot of transfer students and literally I go to my first class typography 3 and I remember I got there early because I was worried about you know getting to class on time and I met this guy there this other kid that was there early and it was Dan and he was literally the first person that I met in the program and now it's what, like uh, 13, 15 years later and we're still working together. I mean, that's that's crazy, you know? Yeah, that is crazy. Um, how did you guys, um, I mean, you, obviously your your careers have been in tandem ever right. since that point. So I'm curious, like once you guys get out, like how, um, just for our listeners, like, lis- um, like, you know, kind of stepping into like, you know, relationships in school and like mm-hmm. what and what that means. I think that you're unique in terms of the guests that I've had here where you have a, a partner that you're really steadfast and found a lot of success in. And I think a lot of the uh, advantages in school are found in the connections that you make. Mm-hmm. So like, what were, like what are the advantages of partnering up that early as well as, you know? Absolutely. So I think that the big one that still keeps us together to this very day is that, that we started a business together. Right. Right. So we, we found out that we and were kept the business and kept intact. the business. Exactly. That we found very early on that we were much stronger together for a couple of reasons. A, we're very different people. We're different, different. We have different skill sets, but then also we have the same work ethic. So I think that even though we, we had complementary skill sets, different complementary, we did have the same work mentality and we were, you know, we wanted to make something of ourselves, you know, and in this case, it was starting a company, and that was really kind of the driving the driving force behind it. And when you walk into a room, you walk into a meeting, and instead of one of you, there's two of you, all of a sudden you have critical mass. You have people take you maybe a little bit more seriously, and you have another person to back up what, you, what you're saying, you know, if you, if you need backup. So in that sense, it was instrumental for starting a business, for me at least, yeah. Um, when you graduated, uh, what was it like finding those first couple of jobs or did you go right to MTV right after college? Right. So this is, uh, yeah, this is close to home. Uh, uh, <laughs> physically. The, uh, physically, yeah. So uh, so I started my my um, my career in San Francisco. I worked at a, a web design company called Autopod and I did a lot of uh, websites for them. And in the time, it was a lot of flash websites. And it was, uh, you know, your um, Nike skateboarding was a big client, soccer, Nike, so- a lot of Nike clients, Red Bull, like cool clients, right? So what I would specialize in is creating those intros. Remember, there was like those intros to websites back mm-hmm. then, and mm-hmm. they were animated and kind of cinematic sometimes. And yeah. They were cool. And so I would, SB had a really cool one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's show all the dunks and show all the, that's EQs. what I worked on. Yeah. That's what I worked on. Yeah. So I didn't a, know that. That's cool. It was a cool company. And, um, uh, one thing led to another. Dan graduated a year earlier than me. 
and he moved to New York and he started working here at MTV, right? So we had already started dress code as an idea and I was, I was looking at places that I wanted to work and it was either in oh, New also, York. Also, where did the name come from? Right, right. So backtrack. So uh, me and Dan uh, worked on a project together and the project we entered it, it was a poster. We, we entered in a, a f- bunch of uh, award shows and then won some awards. So then we had to come up with a name of how to represent the entity that is both of both of us, right? So uh, we there was a somebody. I think it was. Uh, I'm gonna throw Dan under the bus here, but it might have been Dan's ex girlfriend <laughs> that uh, that uh, had left uh, a book uh, on the shelf called dress codes, and we're throwing around ideas one one day, and coming up with a good name is hard, man. Very hard. Yep. Very hard. Because then you have to make sure the URL is not taken. There's nobody, nobody else in that same sphere. So, thankfully, we you know we looked at dress code and that that wasn't taken. You know, so we we're like, all right, that's cool. And there was all of these. Um, there's thing. There's something about dress like when you say dress code, something pops in you. A visual pops in your brain right away. Your right, it's already working. Already working. Yeah. So we liked it because people could interpret what it is. So, uh, so Dan got a job here at MTV, right? And I, 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 I thought that that's fantastic. I want to move to New York as well. And I was looking at Europe as well at the time, but I, I didn't want to go through another like immigration experience. You know, I wanted to kind of stay in the States for the time for, for that time at least. And I moved to New York and I, uh, I, I did some rounds of interviews. You know, I went to places like uh, RGA. I went to uh, Open, Scott. Scott there opened me with open arms. Uh, I went to see Carlson Wilkor and Paul Serre and those guys. Oh, wow. and it, it was it was cool, man. It was cool because I was like this kid out of you know some you know Bulgaria with a college degree from San Francisco in New York, and all of these people took time to like look at my stuff, you know. And it, it was it was really nice, you know. I, how was the industry at that time? And like, what was, cause this is before the, uh, the crash of 2008. Yeah. So yeah. like there was a lot of optimism, but also we were still in, um, it was a post nine 11 world, but you know, like what was the, what was, what was the heads at? So I, I always, I, I, I fell in love with New York, man. Right away. When I first came here, I just remember, um, walking around the streets and just seeing the diversity Right, because even though San Francisco and Seattle were both big cities, the diversity in New York is, to this day, one of my favorite things is to just, uh, you know, sit on the, you know, on a bench on a park bench and just watch people, man. Just the amount of uh, diversity and style and background and nationality. It's it's I love it. Uh, so right away, I fell in love with it. And secondly, everybody that I met with was so positive and so outgoing and so happy to meet me. And I right away felt at home. You know, when right. when you're in New York, you know, I'm from Bulgaria, obviously. Nobody asks me where I'm from. Right. That's true. You know, it's, it's like I you feel at exist. home. I just, I'm me, you know. Sometimes it may come up, may, it might come up, but it's never a defining question of where are you from you know did you saying? ever get that in the pacific northwest because i got that a little bit in oregon where i'd feel right you know uh specifically apart mm-hmm. you know um but uh, I th- but seattle and i love seattle actually i, was, I always thought like if uh, if nike was in seattle i'd probably mm. 
have more impetus to stay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, what, what was the difference there? Well, in Seattle, I'll tell you what, it was... Mm. <laughs> Poor break. Hold on. Commercial break. Let's go Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Yankees it, logo on this fucking bottle. It's... It's cool though, right? It is cool. They did a good job. No, I'm into it. I mean, uh, yeah. I wish I knew more about baseball. I feel like less of a New Yorker, but I'm always a Jersey kid at heart. But anyway, right, right, right. I I wish I could tell you. I don't know anything about baseball. You know, it's 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 made for radio. That's all I know. Um, so Seattle was great, man. And I have to say, Seattle. To credit Seattle, it has a large um, immigrant community. Yes, but it's it's predominantly Asian. Right, that's true. Right, so so it's like, I have to say, man, like when when I first when me and my mom first moved to Seattle, mo- most people were like, "Welcome, you know, it's right. it's nice to have you here," and I built a very strong group of Japanese and Filipino friends, you know, and that I'm still friends with to this day, and uh, also American. Oh, is but, that why we're friends? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 funny though. It's it's um. Uh, the Filipinos do have this, uh, and you correct me if, if this is completely off topic. No, but, man, I'm, I'm um, all open. There, there's this enjoyment of life, totally, and, and and having a good time and parties. And I would go to house parties of my Filipino friends, and we would drink with their parents, you know, and we would hang out with their parents, and it was so close to how it is in Europe. You know, where, where there's no like, oh, you, kids sit on the kids' table or kids don't drink till they're right. 21. Right. Everybody's doing everything and it's, it feels like a family vibe and nothing's off the table. You can right. talk about whatever you want. And I felt I, I felt at home at those Filipino parties, man. Dude, you bring up such an interesting point because specifically um, relating to creativity, design, and, and, and all that, I think that from a cultural perspective, the idea of a celebratory culture versus a much more um um not severe but um oh like repressive or yeah, something yeah exactly or conservative culture yeah, yeah. i think when it comes to designs like like for me like even looking at the office it's like i'm much more into like vibrant expression and and, right. and putting out something that feels celebratory and not about so much putting things inside boxes and and grids. Although I think that there's usefulness in the grid, of course. But I think that um, uh, for me, it's about uh, a big part of my my mission in life right now is about validating and also um, helping to um, you know usher in the concept of celebratory design. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. based within a mm-hmm. multicultural space. So no, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's true. Filipinos like to dance and sing and sing karaoke and all that shit yeah and there was no uh barrier between old and young which i love right you know you would you would have your newborn and your grandparents and everything in between at this party at these house oh, parties totally. you know my cousin just had a, a birthday party for his one-year-old and that thing went until 2 a.m <laughs> and we're, and we're all just like yeah partying yeah and absolutely like literally babies yeah. out and, there and you know what it's so good to see Older people having a good time and like the way we do, like, you know, laughing, eating good food, drinking, whatever, you know, just celebrating life, which I think sometimes, I don't know, in New York, you know how it is. You get caught up in the hustle, right? Right, right, right. You got to celebrate, man. You got to celebrate. Or like this. This is a celebration, man, Rich. I'm, I'm happy that we're here and we're speaking right now. And that we're, we've made it here. You know, yes, that we're exactly. here and we're talking. Yes. Um, and, it, you know, 
ce- celebrate life, man. We got to celebrate life more often. You right. Know? Totally. Well, cheers again to that, yeah. brother. <laughs> um, when you when you and Dan sip sip break, um, when you and Dan um like connected at MTV, mm-hmm. like um, I just I'd love to know exactly like what your acclimation to that culture was, and also I really do want to get into like how the how the concept of the book. <laughs> like happened because so, I think- yeah yeah I'll tell you so so basically MTV uh, so Dan got a job um, with um, uh, the print department right uh, so he was working here for about a year and when I came out to interview after I graduated uh, Dan said well you gotta stop by and say hi to to my boss right so um, I I make the trip I make all my interviews and MTV is one of the last ones right. So I come up here, and at the time I was working, I was looking for like interactive work. That's why I was at um, at um, uh, RGA, and people, and like I went to Two by Four and places that, that did some web stuff, and you know, just because that, that's what I had. So I, I come up to MTV, and I meet I meet Jim 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 DeBarris, and and uh, he is first off, if you haven't met Jim, he is such a. a um, gracious host you know he like would hear me out as i'm talking about my portfolio make these very thoughtful comments of what i should change or what i should do and right right away i was like jim you're all like we clicked right away right and then he said but i don't have a job i like you i don't have a job for you man you know and and you know my heart sunk tiny bit um because i was so close to working with dan and, and doing all that stuff uh, but he said, but you know what? There's a guy on the 10th floor, uh, Roger Belknap. He's looking for people. Why don't you stop on the way down? Why don't you stop with me? I'll introduce you and you'll meet him, right? I was like, great. Why not? So I, I go to floor uh, 10 at on-air MTV design at the time. And I meet with Roger, like just like that, you know, just showed up. And at the time, this is the most embarrassing part. I, I show up with, at the time, it was a book. You had to have a book. Right. You had to have a printed for portfolio. Like, I had a website, but you still brought in a book, right? So, I'm there at floor 10, you know, at a motion motion graphic, you know, place uh, with Roger, showing my print stuff in a book. You know, just that. It's like, that shows you how underprepared I was, you know? Right, right, right. But Rogers, at like, least you had something. I had something. I, I've shown up to things with nothing. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Roger, again, credit to him, he saw something in me, and he said, uh, "Well, look, if you have more motion work, uh, send me a reel." And at that time, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've done some animation because I had done some like uh, work for, uh, you know, Nike and and those like Red Bull clients and and, and stuff like that." And and, and I cut a reel. I, I went back to San Francisco. I spent about a month there cutting a reel of the animation work that I had been doing. And uh, and I sent it back to Roger. Roger was excited. And then I sent him some other little experiments that I was doing. And, and he really liked those. And, and, you know, starting summer of 2005, I'm here in New York uh, working at MTV in the on-air department. So when we started MTV, both me and Dan decided that unless we put a date on the wall that was two years from when we started, we would be there forever. Because we knew that they would start paying us more, they would start giving us more opportunities, and it would be harder to leave. 
So we had two two years to basically save enough money and get a few clients that then we could quit MTV and start dress code full time. What year was that? So this was so I started MTV two thousand and five and we started dress code by two thousand seventeen. Uh two thousand seven, I'm sorry, two thousand seven. Yeah. Wow. And so, then what was the first client? So again, funny enough, we the first client that we ever had um, officially after we had quit was a financial firm called Deloitte. So Deloitte, Rich, you're making a face, uh, but what 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 I said was a financial firm. I am called I, Deloitte. I am well, a that's a great client to be the kickoff client. Amazing client. <laughs> right. Are you serious? In, in terms of like setting up, yeah. like setting you guys up. I think that's actually the smartest move. Smartest move. And so basically, so I'll tell you what. So we started. I just, I just don't know how you found them. Uh, um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> but but uh, so, so funny. So funny. So like me and Dan started a business and we literally, the first thing that you start, you know, one of the first things that you do is, you go to a Chase, you go to a bank or Bank of America, and you start a business. You start a, uh, you know, you, you get a um, a bank account, and uh, we went to the one in Times Square. It's like right down the block, right? So in Times Square, we're there on our lunch breaks, and the guy's like, "Oh, you're starting a business, right?" And we're like, "Yeah, you know, it's this design thing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great, you know." And the guy's like, "Well, who's your client? Who are your clients?" And we're like, "Oh, Deloitte." And the guy's like, "Oh." Do you guys need a line of credit? You know, we're like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, we could just give you some money to start up the business. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we could use some money right now. Wow. So we got a little bit of cash of the bank, and it's a line of credit that we still use to this day. That's amazing. You know, you roll over year after year. Right, right. But point being is, like, we not only started a business here in New York, but also in Times Square, you know, where people, when you walk down the street to the bank, people take you seriously. It's not like, you know... In Lower East Side, you're cashing your change. You know, right? It's exactly. Like it's yeah. here. You're starting your business, so people took us seriously right away. the The project with Deloitte came about because of a mutual friend, uh, and he got us in the room, and we ended up going against. Uh, I think it might have been Stone and Yamashita, which they're like a strategy firm out of San Francisco, and it might have been McCann, like heavy hitters, right. big project. And us. So it was, we just rolled the dice, man. We knew that we had to have clients. We couldn't start a business and then looking for, and start looking for clients. We had to have something. And Deloitte, that job, that one job kind of um, gave us a little bit of financial freedom, to, you know, to, to, to quit. Right, to, right, to, right. To easily quit. Made you feel comfortable. Comfortable. The only thing is that the money didn't last. You know, it's like we we thought that it would last us about six months. It probably lasted us about three. You wow. know. And when did you get the the LES office? So this was right after, uh, pretty much a month after we quit. We had um, uh, we started looking for offices, and that was the first space. And that was the first space, yeah. And it was a, a weird space on Craigslist. It was a photography studio at the time. And I looked at it. Dan wasn't available for some reason. I loved it. I fell in love with it. Uh, but then the guy wasn't quite sure if he wanted to give it to us. Right. So and took that's it, the one with the with the treacherous rooftop. The rooftop where many oh. people almost lost am, their lives. I am amazed that no one has died on that rooftop. <laughs> Every I, time I would be on that roof, I was like, "Wow, you guys, there's alcohol up here, and no one's dead." You know that the cops knew us by name. Like, 
Well, there's this big quality of life thing in in the LES now. You, right. You've heard about the the oh the 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 um, Hell Square. Yes. Yeah. The, um, the um, the residents of yeah, LES yeah, that the, have formed a coalition. Yeah. 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 So they're looking. Uh, watch. I, I don't party in the Lower East Side anymore. Yeah, I take it to Chinatown. <laughs> I, you know, I think we're all taking it to Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Is Gold Bar technically in Chinatown? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it could be. Right. Like yeah. it depends. Right. So it could be like I, I, for me, it's below Grand. Sure. But it could be below Delancey too. I don't know. It depends sure. on where you draw the line. You who know? knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like for me, like well, what am I thinking? Chinatown. I was like, I'm thinking. Oh man, LeBaron. Uh-huh. LeBaron. Um there's a couple of spots by Mott Street, like by uh by Hop Key and Wohop that are like in that little that little um sh- uh, yeah. uh what is it? A little Mogwai street that they got yeah. down there? Yeah, the 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 street of assassinations. You know about that street, right? <laughs> no, what's up with that? Uh so that's that's where they used to execute people because if you stand in the corner you could see both ends of the street. <coughs> Wait, so what does that mean in terms of execution? So it means that you would know who's coming from each side of the street, or oh. if nobody was coming. Oh wow! Is that like a mafia thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's that crazy. corner. That corner. When you sit in that corner, you see both sides of the street simultaneously, so you could tell who's coming your way. That's amazing. So after the bank, after Deloitte, after the bank, uh, b- <clears throat> both me and Dan had this mentor of sorts, uh, John Billenberg. And uh, we took some some uh, classes with him in school, and uh, also did some uh, um, excursions, design camp type of stuff with him. And he basically taught us this. He was like, "Look, uh, at the time, and this was kind of pre-internet, you know. I mean, not pre-internet in the literal sense. I mean, pre-design being on the internet. It was design social media, pre-social media design. The way the 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 design um, career worked was." You would work at a place that's reputable, right? And then you would enter in some award shows. You would win some award shows, right? And then uh, you would maybe start a business. You would start your own place. And then you would, you know, the magazines would write articles about you. And then you would become kind of famous. Then you would start judging the shows. And then maybe within 10 years, you would put out a book of your work. It's a wrap. Right. Then die. Right, whatever. And this is the pinnacle of design, right? Right. So me and Dan kind of looked at that and said, why don't we just go straight to the top and just write the book? Why do we have to go through all these steps and just let's go to the top and write the book and put our name on the on the map, so to speak? Why do we have to go through all this stuff? So we figured, what do we know what to write? We don't know what to write about. What do you, what do you write about? You know, so... so I mean, selfishly, we said, we'll just write about our experience of starting a business. Right. And at that time, uh, Carlson Walker's book had come out called Tell Me Why. And they had outlined working for Sagmeister and then starting their own business. So we're like, all right. It was a very, to be to be completely honest, very inspirational book for us. And we looked at it and we, we thought, there's nothing like that for the student, for the student perspective. You know, for going through school and then trying to get a job and getting your first job. So the way we always looked at our book was was as the prequel to tell me why. Oh wow! As as like how how do you get through school and then how do you get your first job and then what do you do after that? Uh, so we modeled never sleep after to to some extent and 
um, on that model. And one of the other things that we we felt was very interesting was to put in all of our work, all even the bad stuff. And the the bad stuff to me is the most interesting, always. Yes, I agree. just put all the the good and the bad, talk about it, and kind of help or not help, but hope that people don't make the same mistakes that we made. And that was really kind of the basis of it. What was the feedback that he got on the book? It was awesome, man. We ended up doing a little book tour. Uh, we toured. We went to uh, you know every um, major school or conference for about two years. Uh, I think it definitely you know kind of started our careers as dress code because before that it was so dress code was tied to um, MTV to us and our careers at MTV. So never sleep, never sleep really put us on the map in that sense, and then that led to us teaching at Pratt. We taught at Pratt for about eight years. Wow. Uh, so that was all direct result of the book. Because I got to say, like, I think that book, I mean, I already said it earlier. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think that book really changed the game in terms of what people thought was possible right outside of school. And also mm-hmm. for people that were under 30. Mm-hmm. And um, I think also within the Young Guns generation, which you are within as well. Right. Like, I think that it, it lessened, like you said, the barriers and the layers that one had to get to before legitimacy occurred. You know? Well, what is legitimacy? Legitimacy? Legitimacy. What is it? What, like, what, you know, like, I think legitimacy, you know, in, well, in 2018, I think it's subjective. Extremely, sure. extremely, yeah. right? Like, so right. What, what, you know, at what point do you say you've made it? What does that mean? I, Have you ever made it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I feel like I'm constantly, like, up against it. And I feel like, for me, I'm just, I, I think, well, uh, we're actually getting into interesting territory. For me, I think that um, legitimacy is just an ongoing struggle to prove oneself or oneself. And I think that um, whatever we do, like if it's on any level, is mm-hmm. is visible through our our channels or through other people's channels. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, yeah, I mean, back in the day, I remember th- getting my one my first job through Stephen Heller, thinking like, oh my god, I've made it. But then, yeah. but then, you know, just realizing that was the drop in the bucket of, you know, just the constant struggle, you know. But I, but I think for what Never Sleep did, I think Never Sleep created um, a mindset and also uh, kind of the um, the young people and like like youthful design and also because you guys were uh, created an aesthetic within the book or utilized an aesthetic within the book that was very driven by chat and also right. the online culture right you know what i mean so it, it was it was holistic and cohesive but also all-encompassing of yeah. you know a mindset it wasn't just like you know you, you didn't just see the hits like you said you saw you saw all the moles and yeah everything. but also the, at the time there weren't that many hits man <laughs> you know there were <laughs> right right for sure it was it was, it was like you know a how-to kind of yeah, yeah. We, we had to expose the bad stuff because god that's the majority of what we had you know right. it's it's you know. um how'd you get the book deal so we approached a couple of publishers and we ended up going with a small publisher that was also a designer uh, uh, Giorgio Baravale, and he had a very cool uh, uh, publishing business that was in a barn outside of New York. And we went to see him. He had also uh, graduated from the, so, the same school as we had, so we had a good report. And yeah, 
one day he called us and he's like, let's do this, you know, and we ended up doing it, you know, and it was as simple as that. Uh, the hard work to me became the PR aspect of it, you know, going to all the tours, doing all the lecturing, because that really took us about two years, you know, or a lot of travel, a lot of weird places that I've never been before. You know, you know what I mean? Like that takes you out of work. Um, but and at the time you're still actively working on projects actively, actively. Work, yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah but it was exciting man it was it was so that was a very exciting exciting time so even though the book took us it, it took us about three years from like conception to final delivery but um for you know a couple of 22 23 year old kids <laughs> it was cool man it was cool that, to hold dude it in are you hands, kidding me you know? that's super cool like right now I'm in the middle of like a book thing right now that I'm trying to like sort out the details mm-hmm. of. I can't like quite quite really talk about. Although um shout out to Robin Landa who's uh, my partner in that space and who knows wherever that lands. Um but uh yeah, like I for me I feel like right now it's like it's very much about business and like the practicalities of getting yeah. to it. But I imagine like 10 years ago my space would have been like or my my headspace, not MySpace. Although ten years ago, MySpace. MySpace was it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Friendster, man. Go back to Friendster. Dude, Friendster. Oh, what about Zanka? We could go all the way back to ICQ, Zanka. bro. I got, I got, I got, I got more. <laughs> oh my god, it's actually kind of shameful because um, I bring up GeoCities and Angel Fire here. Oh, all the time, Whoa, right? Too like much. Live Journal. Yeah. yeah, come on, man. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah, like. Um, but I, I imagine 10 years ago, I would have been much more was like, oh, yeah, Stoke, let's do blah, blah, blah. But then now I'm way more like, okay, let's, what are the practicalities of the actual execution of this yeah, thing? Yeah. You know? But um, are you guys planning a sequel? Is there a sequel? I don't, to, to be honest, we're so focused on the, the film stuff right now. Right. And, I want to talk about that. And too. building building the next layer of the business that, um, no books so far uh, in, in play, but you know what? We've um, there's a couple of really interesting projects brewing, and I think that they're within the design field. Um, if somebody were to approach us to do a book, I'd be happy to. But as you probably know, that there's a lot of legwork uh, that has to go with with production and making it happen, and um, I, that's not where my head's at right now. But um, if uh, I think it would be great, you know, if we were to do it eventually, you know. Um, I got to say, speaking of the film stuff, I got to say congratulations. Thanks, bud. Oh, yeah. Congratulations on uh, Tribeca Film Festival. And the Milsa Glazer film that is amazing. It 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 is beautiful. Like it. Um, where can our viewers actually take a look? Yeah, at that? it will be. So the, the the funny thing is, I'm just there's a couple of people that want to acquire it. So Got it. I'm in in midst of figuring that out as we speak, but it will be online shortly. Um, uh, and that's all I can say about that. And it's it's a short film on Milton Glazer and his love for New York. Um, uh, it has to do a little bit about him coming up with the I Heart New York symbol, but it's more about a love letter to New York, I think. Um, and it's about his experience as an immigrant coming to New York, uh, making it happen. And to, to be honest, I think that Milton, in my humble opinion, is a, the pinnacle of design, of the design career. I mean, he's been so instrumental in anything that you can think of from New York Magazine to uh, the I Heart New York logo to numerous posters, identities, uh, uh, anything they can think of, and illustrate like his illustration 
portfolio and work it's 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 a home it's its own little like a huge body of work that is uh, I, I would you know I, I'm, I'm I'm humbled I'm humbled to be able to to somehow present his thoughts and his outlook on New York and life through this film a, absolutely humbling experience um, what was his? What was his energy? What was his vibe? I've only been in a room with Milton Glaser a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, in small classrooms. Uh, shout out to uh, Mirko Illich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout yeah, out to yeah. Mirko because uh, Mirko and Milton, I know, are, are homies, and um, I've I've had the pleasure of um, you know getting to speak to Milton about a, f- a couple things. But um, otherwise, like, what was what was his energy? It was it was very. He gave us a fantastic interview. So so we're sitting down and. And um, first off, Dan had prepped some questions about his career. And then I had prepped some questions about New York and that symbol in particular. And what struck me was that um, how definitive he was about his answers and about his philosophy about life. You know, it wasn't, he wouldn't wouldn't meander from topic to topic. He He would give such clear, well thought out answers um, that, you know, you would, you would listening to them, it would take you so much time to just process what he's just saying, let alone ask a follow-up question because it's a little intimidating, man. You, you're saying, right. you know, you know, across somebody who's lived it, seen it, done it, right. the whole deal. And, and he, Milton's one of those guys that, um, he'll call you out. Right. You know, he'll like if you ask him a stupid question, he'll tell you that's a stupid question. Why would you why would you why would you ask me that? Have you, you ever know? told anyone that their question was a stupid question? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> How old do you think you have to be or what point do you have to hit in your life where you can tell someone that the thing they just told you was stupid? <laughs> and and have them be like, Oh shit. I think that you're any, right. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, look. I think that but that's the next level. That's not just next level, but it, it's it's. Um, how should I say this? It's it's so confident in understanding right. who you are, and also understanding what you want to tell the world that you don't even want to entertain the question. I'm not even going to bullshit you. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not interested. Um, but what was the Tribeca experience like? Oh man, it, it was fantastic! Was so, that, that was the first time in Tribeca, or like presenting in Tribeca? Yeah, it was the first film in Tribeca, and, and, and it was awesome because, first off, I ended up meeting a lot of um, really talented filmmakers that were like-minded and people that um, I think if if a if they don't come up with features or bigger projects, they'll definitely come up with something as interesting as that. And um, it's such a great. It, to backtrack for a second, I came, um, you know, to bring it back to New York, to talk a little bit, a little bit about New York, I feel uh, especially proud to be part of Tribeca because uh, Tribeca is such a defining um, part of New York's culture now, not only from the film side, but what we are as New Yorkers, because I'm not sure if you know this, but the history of Tribeca is that it was a direct response of the 9-11 attacks. So after 9-11, that whole area was completely uh, destroyed, right? So at that point, uh, the, you know, De Niro and everybody associated with the festival decided to create something 
that would bring back the area in a culturally appropriate way. And therefore, there was the birth of uh, Tribeca Film Festival. So for, for me, to be a part of his, you know, to, to a sense history of New York uh, at that level, to be a part of, you know, culturally appropriate work that gets exhibited to, you know, uh, the best of the best in New York, to me, a, a complete, pr- I mean, look, it's, I would have never dreamt it, you know, I, um, and, and it, it really, for me, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege, but the thing is, man, I, I brought my mom. My mom came out from Seattle. And uh, one thing I didn't mention is my mom used to run a movie theater in Bulgaria. So she would take me to all the advanced screenings and she would basically choose whatever, um, movies played in the local theater and whatever, what 30 years down the road, I'm taking her to, to a premiere at Tribeca to watch my film, man, that was, that was, that, that, that to me, it was really what made it worth it. You know? Wow. That is amazing. Yeah, man. Like, uh, what did she think of the film? Two thumbs up, <laughs> two thumbs up. Yeah. She was very happy. And, uh, my film is very short. It's only six minutes. Uh, but my mom would say, well, you know what? Uh, that's it. The shorter it is, the harder it is to make. <laughs> and, and, and very I, don't, true. I don't know if she, she's very critical. So I believe her. She's extremely critical. So I, you know, she had a good time. Yeah. Are you guys working on anything else in the film world? In the, in the film world? world 100%. We're, we're, we have, can you talk about it? If you can, we have a ton of projects coming up. Um, um, <sighs> Let me just think about for a second what I can talk about legitimately. But the th- I'll tell you what, the things that are starting to excite me a lot more are longer term projects, you know? Right. So I'm in the middle of writing something. Uh, I'm in the middle of developing an episodic thing. And uh, we, we're we getting to a point where we're getting um, bigger clients and bigger projects and also representing other directors, uh, so we're building a roster that has both animation directors and live action directors. And that's going to be the next step for the company is, um, is, is not only doing the, the, the animation work, the post work, the live action production, but we'll also be representing people as well. Oh, wow. I mean, you guys have a massive space right now. So I feel like, you know, it's, it's only appropriate, right? It's appropriate, but also it's, I think that it's where the company needs to go because so far we've only relied on work that either um, I've overseen or Dan has overseen. Uh, And now given, you know, the bodies of work of these other directors that are are joining the company, uh, that will also double the amount of work we have to show and therefore sell. Right. Is that, is that the logical um, scalability of a business like yours where it's about like, you know, at, on a day-to-day level, you're physically doing a thing and you're physically overseeing something. But yeah. then from a scalability level, you have to actually, you know, start to, you know, figure out um, who, like how to step away from something and just do more of an overseeing. Are you comfortable in that space? Is that something that you're... We're going into some, uh, you know, tricky territory because I think that um, I was never trained to run a business. Right. I don't think any of us are. And I think that, Rich, this is like the biggest problem that I have with running a business is that it's not what I signed up for. Right. I signed up for doing the work. Like I wanted to be a creative guy and, and, and do my stuff. And 
it so happened that I didn't want to work for somebody else. I wanted to work for myself and like chart my own territory. The the caveat with the big caveat with that is that the day to day is a lot of management. It's a lot of logistical details, as you probably know. And and you know, working at MTV at a you know a higher level, you rarely do the work yourself. You know, you delegate, you quality control, you do all this other stuff, client management, relationships. And man, sometimes I'll go through the day and, and I look at what I've done and I'm like, I've just answered some emails, man. I've gone, to, I've gone to a couple of meetings and I've done like a couple of phone calls and they're all instrumental of moving the, the, the company forward. But um, the, the more you grow, I think that the, 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 the problem that you encounter is the sometimes further away you get from the making of the work, you know? And I think right. that that is... Uh, there's different ways to battle that. And from in my case, it's doing personal projects like the Milton film, you know, doing things that are outside of the client's control. You're just doing them yourself almost as a director, as an artist or whatever right. it is. There's nobody else except you. Right. And to me, that's the antidote. That's the the only way out, you know. Um, for you, when it comes to projects like that and when it comes to like the business aspect, do you fully feel like you have um like place one foot out of like are you where where are you currently because like i meant mentally speaking like i'm always like mm. in a transition space as well and i'm mm-hmm. thinking like how do i physically step away from the the desire to be in it and want to like physically do the thing myself which which for me yeah. and you know and I'm, and I'm always in a mental space of like I would never ask someone to do something that I would never be down to do myself of course do, do you know what I mean but then now from a from a managerial aspect um, and and um, the management of of skill sets that I technically may not be able to physically do do you know mm-hmm. like um you know like I'm, I'm 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 trying to slowly you know not step away completely but you know like but but also want to be in it, but be out of it, but also do my own shit. I don't know. Well, how do you deal with it? How do you how do you deal with the fact that you can't control every like minuscule detail? Like, how do you go about it? I mean, this is a huge corporation. Totally. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I do control it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Right? I don't know. I don't know if I ever do truly control it. But like you, I I, I do a lot of personal stuff, mm-hmm. and I still like you know like to maintain a small amount of clientele where i can just do the thing that i know that i can do and feel um like i'm still sharpening the edge mm-hmm. and i think for me it's always about sharpening the edge and sharpening mm-hmm. the skill set from because for me like i was always i was trained um uh within illustration and design space mm-hmm. um within a youth culture space so i'm always just kind of like you know um i always want to participate in that world on the physical doing you know yeah and then um you know i'm i'm always trying to be more okay with with um collaborating with a mutual vision and um funneling that up for you know the greater the greater cell or the greater good mm-hmm. and you know and then you know not wanting to push pixels all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know no absolutely and i think that what what you said earlier um I think that very much resonated with me where you said, well, I can't fully control it. It's it's, right. its own thing. Right. And the thing that I've starting, I'm starting to realize is that dress code, the company that I started 
is its own thing. Right. You know, and sometimes it's iconic. it has a mind of its own. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Because the, the problem that we had uh, right away when we started hiring people with Dan, with my partner Dan, was like, how do we still keep our stamp? You know, how do we keep our style and our aesthetic and so on and so forth? But the way I look at it is like, first off, we have to okay everything. So everything goes through us. But secondly, we hire people that I know for a fact are more talented than us, you know, in a lot of aspects. And every every once in a while, I'll get on the box and I'll tell them what's up, you know. But like, just to like remind them that I used to do this or Dan used right. to do this, Sometimes right? Sometimes you just have to hip check a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so they don't lose respect for you. You know, you right. know what I mean? Because totally. I think that... I Inevitably, when you're like, for instance, when you're shooting something, I want to know how the camera turns on before I tell that person how to do their job. Like, I, I need to know so I can like confidently tell them how to do it, you, you know? So, that aside, the, the people that work for us, they walk into our office that we've designed from the ground up. You know, like, our office was a raw space. We designed it from the, like, we built the walls in that space. We pick the music that's that's played in that space. We pick every single person individually because we believe they're the best at what they do. And we mentor them in ways that I hope are in you know specific to their needs and the company's needs. So whatever they create, I don't have to be overbearing and be over the shoulder to tell them what to do. I want them to do whatever they want to do. I want to give them the, the amount of freedom to express themselves because that's going to be the best work you know it's they're not hired to like follow my footsteps or whatever the case is it's because they're really good at what they do right 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 no that makes sense how do you relax do you relax you don't seem like a relaxed guy <laughs> um i play a lot of soccer i wake up in the morning and I play at 7.30 in the morning before we go to work with a really good friend of mine from college, Kyle McDonald. <clears throat> we organize a soccer game. Everybody's welcome. It's a big pickup game, and the intensity is high for that early in the morning. So the idea is that by the time I get to work, I've already done something physical. I'm already a little tired, and I already feel like I've, I've, I've won something, you know, and it's the funny thing. And I don't know if it's, it, it, I don't know if it is with you. It's like, yeah, I just like to win, man. Yeah, totally. And no, it, yeah. It, it's, it's so stupid, but like, no, that's not stupid. Playing that little game of soccer before I get to work and winning, or even if I lose, you still, it's still a good time, you know, it's, a, but going through something like that and it just puts that extra, like, confidence in your step right i i, I think for me because i wake up at like around uh six in the morning like in the past couple of years mm -hmm. right and then um i like to go to the gym first thing in the morning richie's gym in bushwick yeah uh where dan occasionally works out <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but i like to do that first thing in the morning in order to accomplish goals and also get the mental like brain stem you know going yeah. so i'm actually like you know, uh, I'm dodging traffic because I, jog, I jog there. You, <laughs> you jog know? there, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also the idea of getting your reps in physically in the morning and yeah. also like um, setting um, metrics of success first thing in the morning. Yeah. So by the time you get to the office, and I like to be in the office by 9.30 personally. Um, for me, although, um, you know, I, like some people like within the agency were like to roll up like 10, 10.30, whatever. But um, <coughs> in order to say that like I've physically already got the train out of the station 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, a phone call happens at 9.30 in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm you're not, in. Yeah, I'm, I'm in it, you know? But you're not just in it. You've already been in it for what, like... A couple hours. Some hours lifting weights and right. doing whatever you need to do so that right. by the time you get to work, the battle's already won. Totally. You know what totally. I mean? It's like you're already warmed up. Right. And also for the listener, this conversation is happening at 9.19 p.m. right now. So we gotta go. We, we, we gotta. We got shit to do you, in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You and I have already like been in it. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome, man. And I have to say, it's like it's like humans are you know creatures of habit, and yeah. the thing that I the, the the to be honest, man, what gets you up at six um, when you get what what get where do you find the drive um, to oh, do what you do personally? Oh yeah. well. You know, I think for me, it was uh, the the West Coast move a mm. little bit. Um, although, I mean, although I was an early uh, awaker for a little bit, but I think that's like, um, you know, kind of getting to my 30s. Um, but uh, the West Coast uh, time shift mm-hmm. kind of like acclimated my body to waking up a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in general. So when mm-hmm. I moved back to the East Coast, I wanted to, you know, physically be in it. Um, but also I... I think that working out uh, at like 10 or 11 p.m. just wasn't like vibing for me anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, just the natural uh, progression of time meant that uh, waking up earlier was more okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. And also yeah. I don't partner on the weekdays. On the weekdays, I'm like pretty spare. Actually, um, you bringing some of this black club was uh, sabotage me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So so it's off the rails now. Yeah, oh, exactly. I, it's, yeah. You're not going to wake up at six tomorrow, someone tells me, you know. <laughs> Actually, what you know what? I'm going to text you and uh, I'm going to let you know if I wake up at six. Well, make sure you wake me up so that you <laughs> repay the favor, you know, for me bringing some alcohol. Yeah, exactly. But, um, so like just to to wrap things up just a little bit, like you know what I'd love is um just a little bit of advice, and I don't believe in advice, but just because never sleep was really influential, I believe to like a lot of young creatives like I think for the entrepreneurial young creatives, designers, filmmakers, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, what, what can you say was a couple of like really good takeaways from, you know, like your, your entrepreneurial spirit, because I I think it's influenced a, a lot more people than you realize. First off, that's super sweet of you. Uh, that's super sweet and kind to, to make that assertion. And, um, I think you have to, tr- to be true to yourself and what you're about. So in an age where, you know, there's a lot of distraction, there's a lot of people doing other stuff it's very easy to follow what other people are doing, you know, and to, to look at somebody else and to say, I should be doing more of that, or I should be more like this person. And I think that staying true to yourself and looking at your, you know, at yourself in the mirror, so to speak, and, and thinking, what am I about? You know, like, Rich, what are you about? You know, and and, and Which I, look I ask at, myself a lot. I ask myself all the time, and this is you know, jokes aside, it's like I look at myself and I'm like, what am I about? You know, and that should be what my work is about. That should be what my relationships are about. That should be what uh, I want to manifest in 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 the world and around me. You know, and I think that trying to, and this is extremely hard. It's 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 easy said. You know, it's very hard to follow through, but 
If you're true to yourself, everything will come, I think, sooner or later. It may not come right away, but it will come, you know? Trying to be with other people, like other people, or trying to do something that's not quite your flavor or whatever it is, it's just going to feel corny, man. You know what I mean? And I think that in in a world full of cornballs, you got to be yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you got to be yourself, and, and if there's... Anything, if there's anyone that will believe that you can do something, man, it's you, you know? And if you don't believe yourself, then God help you, man, you know? That's, uh, I don't know how else better to end this this interview. Yeah. Cheers, Andre, buddy. Thanks, brother. Thank you. That conversation was really fun. So thanks, Andre, for coming out. I hope that was really beneficial also to you young entrepreneurs. Also, if you want to check out more work from Dress Code, it's dresscodeny.com. And I want to give it up to Desjin, our sponsor, Ben Sounds on Music. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you want to follow me on social media, it's rich underscore TU on Instagram, Twitter, and all those other places. Thanks for listening to First Generation Burden. Come back next week. We have another fun one for you. I'm Rich too. Bye.